Praise the name of Jesus. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, our children can be dismissed to Kids Dome. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 19. When you got to say so, and the word of the Lord tells us, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth that sets us free, God. We thank you because you are gracious, you are all-wise, you are all-powerful. And we just thank you, God, for bringing us together today to worship to adore, to honor, to glorify your name. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you in these next few moments that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, and that we would not just hear the preaching of your word, but that we would respond to it in faith, that we would live it out, Lord God, for your glory and for your honor, as you empower us to do so, God. I pray that you be glorified and do what you desire in our hearts. In Jesus' great name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand so the ushers can get you an outline. I want to make sure that everyone has one so that way you are able to follow along in the sermon. You're able to take notes. As I remind you every week, the reason why these outlines are important is twofold. Number one is so that way you are able to take notes so that way you can follow along in the beginning portion of the scriptures. There's some questions that are inside the outline that are there, and they are for us to discuss. And, and, and if you answer them during the preaching, it's going to be helpful because the second reason why these outlines are important is because not all of us have really great memories, and so Sometimes we need to write stuff down in order to recollect what we, was, what we were understanding or what we were hearing as far as the preaching is going. And so every week we get together in different homes and different days of the week and we meet um, with one another and they're called our Connect Life Groups. And what we do is we get together and we have fellowship. We have a time that we eat together and um, pass that time together. But also during that time as well, we get together and we talk about the sermons. And so we go through these outlines and we discuss what you're hearing, what God was speaking to you. And I I like to remind you every week that salvation is something that is obviously individual between you and God. Sanctification is not just you and God. Sanctification takes all of us together. Amen? We grow together in Christ, and it's one thing, and we can hear the word of God being preached, but it's a whole different thing for us to live it out. And it's real easy to sit down and hear the preaching of the word of God and, and say that was good or that made sense to me or I need to make some changes. It's something totally different when someone comes into your life and is there asking you, how is God communicating to you? How is God speaking to you? And then you communicate that within a group of people, and those people begin to pray for you and also ask you, well, how is that going are you growing in that area? So that's why sanctification takes more than just you by yourself. It's the Spirit of God working through all of us. And so we all have our outlines, and we're continuing on in our series, The Real Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the witnesses, or we're going to talk about witnesses, plural. The reason is because we talked about the witness a few weeks ago when, when John the Baptist was introduced to us. But today we're going to go through, we're going to cover more ground than we've covered in any of the preaching so far in the Gospel of John. And the reason for that is because I want us to go through all of these different witnesses that we find here in this first chapter. Because it wasn't just John that was the only witness, but there are some other witnesses to who Jesus is that we're going to 
to be introduced to today. So we're going to go through a lot of material and we'll go through a lot of scripture and we'll start our way there. But if you look down at your outline, as we continue in our series, The Real Jesus, we come to the point where we see four witnesses testifying to the person and work of Jesus as the Son of God and the promised Messiah. Now, John was the first witness already mentioned. The others are resulting witnesses of other witnesses. And I want to pause and think, and think about that for a moment because John was the witness, the one that was specifically born with the purpose to be the forerunner or the one that went before Jesus as the herald. And then what he did was he began to preach this gospel. He began to preach this baptism of repentance. And as he did that, many people came to faith in Jesus, right? Many people turned their life from their sin unto unto this baptism, and they recognized that Jesus was, especially now we'll see, as John begins to point them in the direction of Jesus, they began to realize that they needed this salvation. They needed this deliverer. And so they have this understanding, and they come to this realization. And so now John the Baptist is there preaching, but it doesn't stop with John and Jesus, But we see that subsequently what occurs is one witness produces another witness, and that witness produces more witnesses. And we continue, and the reason why we are here 2,000 years later is because of what? Because a witness started, and people continued to witness and continue to witness. And if we stop witnessing, what happens? People stop getting saved. Are you hearing me? And so the reason why God calls us to be these witnesses is because he wants us to share the best news that anyone could ever hear, and that is this glorious gospel, this glorious truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so we see all of these witnesses that that we'll look at today. We must keep in mind that the purpose of this gospel, and we talked about it a a little bit earlier when we dealt with this memory verse, and and we have have one of our connect groups actually going to come up here, and they're going to share the memory verse with us, but we must keep in mind the purpose of the gospel that we find in the in, in, in John chapter 20, verse 31. It's for what? It's so that way we can believe, right? It's so that way we can have life. That's the purpose of this gospel. And so does our connect group want to come up? Are they ready? Oh, one guy? Oh, you said that you said the, y'all had. I, I thought they were doing a, a whole thing, but it's all good. Glory to God. So we have one person. They chickened out on you, bro. <laughs> well, hopefully you remember because it's a memory uh, verse. I, I so. forget the verse. I just forgot. <laughs> So John chapter 20, verse 31 is, but these are written that you may believe Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Thank you, my brother. And so that, that, that's, our, that, that's our memory. That's our memory verse. And I try to give memory verses when we're going through different books because it gives us the heart or the meaning or the reason that we're going through these books. And the reason that the Gospel of John was written, it was for that reason. So that way we could believe and believing what? We would have life. And so looking at your outline here, belief in Jesus produces fruit. And, and, and I, I actually, go, go up a little bit further. Because eternal life in the future is for sure, but also we are to experience eternal life now. Now, here's what I want you to get, is that this life that God promises us, it doesn't begin the day that we stop breathing. It begins the day that we repent and put our faith in Jesus. We begin to experience life now on this side of the grave, on this side of the grass. We begin to experience this power of God, this resurrection reality. And so what should be happening is we should be experiencing something. Belief in Jesus produces fruit or life that bears witness to that belief. Now hear me when I say this. I was talking with our our brother who shared the memory verse today, and we were discussing professed Christians. And here's what I want to say. Profession of faith is not enough. Mental assent to biblical truth is insufficient. You, you can say, you know what, I agree with all of that stuff, but, but, but the reality is there must be evidence that speaks for our faith in Jesus. Are you here? It's not just about saying a prayer. It's not just about if you come to an altar. It's not just about coming to an altar. It's about a life that has changed. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, this morning, I, did, I shaved. For some of y'all, y'all, y'all didn't see me. The last time you saw me, I had a beard, right? And, and, and I, I was growing it since November. And I, I really enjoyed, you know, the beard and everything like that. I got used to it. It was kind of part of me. And this morning, as I went into the, to the bathroom, you know, I decided, you know, it's time to shave, right? So I got in there and I started shaving. It was like taking wool off. Hello. Right. So as I'm shaving, you know, there, there, there was a big change. I looked weird. When I looked at myself in the mirror, I was like, man, you look funny. And it was because I got so used to this. Right. But here's the thing. If I told you, if you if you saw me last week and I told you that I shaved, you'd believe me. Amen. 
Because what? Because there is a drastic change in the way that I look because there's a drastic change in my facial features because you couldn't see all of this stuff. Now you can. So there's no question that I shave. Now, if now that I'm, that I'm shaving like this, if my hair grows for a couple of days and then I tell you I shave, you might be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if you really shave because that radical evidence is not there. Can I tell you something, church? There should be some similarities in the radical change or the radical difference that is there when you come to faith in Jesus. There should, there should be people. Now listen, there are going to be people that knew you before you came to Christ, and they should be like, man, that's a different guy, that's a different girl, that's not the same person that used to be. If that is not true, there is a problem. Are you here? And here's what else should happen. For those people that meet you once you are shaved up, hello. When you start to tell them about your before you shave days, hello, somebody. When, when you start, to, they should be like, there's no way. There's no way that that was you. There was no way that that was your behavior. Why? Because there is a radical difference. There is a, a, a radical change in our lives. There is something that should occur. It is not simply about saying, oh, well, I need that. No, 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 no. Are you living, walking? Are you living the life that God has called you to live? Are you living the life transformed by the power of the gospel? Because if not, there's a problem. There's an issue Something should take place. Something should happen deep inside of our hearts when we meet Jesus. There is no one that met Jesus and wasn't changed. Are you hearing me? I didn't mean all of them repented. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you know that right now. Not everyone that met Jesus repented. I mean Pharisees, Sadducees, the people that crucified Jesus, they didn't, they didn't repent of their sin. They crucified our Savior. But nonetheless, they were changed. They were religious people who became very bitter, who became very bitter, who became very jealous, who became very overwhelmed with their status and something happened in their life. And so the same is true for us. When we meet the Lord Jesus, something deep should happen within our hearts. The reason why we're talking about witnesses is because one of the greatest evidences, and this is the third paragraph in your outline there, one of the greatest evidences of the life of Christ in us is our witness of the gospel. While we may not be the most outgoing or verbal, see, here's the thing. Everybody is not as verbal as everyone else. Some people, they just got the gift of gab. You can't get them to be quiet. Hello. Right? Some people can just talk. I mean, some people can just walk up to someone and just start having a conversation out of nowhere, and it's natural. It just flows. It's like, for me to do that is weird. Are you hearing me? You may be like me. You may be like, man, I, I, it's really weird for me to like walk up to somebody that I don't know and just like have a conversation like I knew them forever. But some people, that's just simple for them. They can talk to anyone, have a conversation with anyone. They, and, and listen, the person can be, you know, not wanting to talk to you, and you're still just having a conversation. And, and that, that's, just how, that's just how it is, right? Angel, stop raising your hand and saying that to you, man. That's not. That is our brother Angel, right? He, he's, he's able to talk to anyone, right? Just have conversations. But other people are not like that. But can I tell you something? The people that are like Angel are just as responsible as the people who are not like Angel, who are like me. To do what? To witness, to share the gospel, to communicate the truth, to be those people who are communicating of how Jesus has changed their life. See, here's what happened. What happens, there must be a willingness and desire to share the gospel. See, although I'm not necessarily, and you would think, man, Bishop, you talk, you get up there, you have no issues. This is a different thing. This is, this is totally different. This is something that is the only the gift of God that allows me to do this because this is not natural to me, right? This becomes part of who I am because this is how God has gifted me. But the truth of the matter is, even though it's not easy for me to walk up to someone out of nowhere and have a conversation, I am willing. Are you hearing me? Are you willing to share. Are you desire? See, I want people to hear about the gospel. The reason why I've given myself to preaching every day of my life for the, for, the, for the rest of my days and to live this as a lifestyle, the reason why I've done that is because I want as many people as possible to hear the glorious truth of the gospel. So the first thing is, you have to ask yourself this question, am I willing to preach this gospel? The second thing you have to say, are you desirous to share the gospel? And the third thing is, are you concerned about the lost? Do you care about those who are lost? Do you care about those who don't know Jesus? See, because even though you may not be vocal, even though you may not be verbal, you know, very well, a very good verbal communicator, do you care about the reality that people are dying and they are going to spend an eternity either with God or without God? 
Does that even, or are you hoping that I go to my next point, or does that even shake you to the core? Does that bother you that people are going to die and that they will meet their maker and whether they are right with him or not? Hey, that depends on the decisions they make on this side of the grave. Is that, is that something that even concerns you? Because if it doesn't, I, I pray that you'll repent and that you'll ask God to give you a burden, to give you a care, to give you a concern for those who do not know Jesus and have not heard this gospel. Amen? The first thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, witnesses must be actively assured of their mission. Witnesses must be actively assured of their mission. And so we started reading in verse 19. We read down to verse 28. And so what, 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 what I'll say this is from verses 19 to verses 36, in these verses we find the clear witness of John the Baptist over a three-day period. And so three days, John the Baptist is witnessing. The day of this, that, that, that it starts here, it says this is what John did. The first day was what? It was when, and how do we know it was the, 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 the three-day period? Well, we know this. It says here, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And so this is giving us a description of what is happening on a particular day. Go to verse 29. Verse 29 says, the next day, say the next day. And so what we have is day one, and then we have day two, and then we continue on, and then we see in verse 35, it says, again, the next day. Say the next day. And so we see three, a three-day period in which John the Baptist is actively involved in the mission which God the Father had sent him on. And so witnesses must be actively assured of their mission. And I put the word actively in there because I, don't, I, I was going to say witnesses need to be assured of their mission. But see, here's the thing. I am sure of my mission when I am on mission. Are you hearing me? You see, I can say that I'm assured of something, but if I'm not doing something, I'm really not sure. Are you here? If you're at work and you're given a specific task at your job and you go ahead and you ask all of the questions and you understand fully what you're supposed to be doing and the reason why you're supposed to be doing it, but you're not doing it, are you on mission or not? You're not on mission. You're not doing. You can have all, again, that mental knowledge, but are you actively assured of your mission as a Christian? Because we hear week in and week out that we're supposed to be witnesses, that we're supposed to be light, that we're supposed to be those who are sharing this gospel, sharing this truth of Jesus with the world. And the question is not, have you heard that before? The question is not, has that, has that come into your ears before? The question is, are you active in that mission? John the Baptist is here and these Pharisees are, or, or the Jews that come to him and the priests, they come to him and they ask him who he was. And so over the three-day period, he gives, he gives, he's witnessing three different times and he witnesses to three different groups of people and he gives two different aspects of the revelation of who Jesus is. And so on day one, he witnesses to who? The ones that we read about already. He witnesses, it's the Jews asking him questions about who he was. And why he was baptizing. And what does he do? How, do? how does he respond? He responds and he says, Jesus is preferred. And that word preferred means ranks higher. Jesus is of more importance in him. And it's really all about Jesus. Are you here? It's really all about him. That's what he tells them. And then we'll read together in verse 29. Let's pick it up on verse 29. It says, the next day John saw, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. It's funny because John the Baptist didn't know that his cousin Jesus was the one he was being sent for until the next thing happens. He says, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. So day one, he is responding and witnessing to these Jewish people that have come to him to ask him questions who have been sent by the Pharisees to get an answer. The second day, we see him responding and probably to the Jewish people that were there who were coming to be baptized and hear John's message. And what does he reveal about Jesus? The first thing he reveals about Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. 
He tells us he is the Lamb of God. He goes on to show us what that means. He, he says that he is the Lamb of God, right? He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And so he is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrificial Savior. He points to the preexistence of Jesus, and he lets us know um, he, he lets us know that Jesus is this giver of new life. He's the one who gives us the Holy Spirit, and then he testifies that he is the Son of God. He points out, he says, listen, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what he's saying is right there, he is preaching the gospel clearly, and he's saying that the hope for the world is in who? Him. The hope in the world is not in me. The hope of the world is not in this baptism. The hope in the world is in him who takes away the sins of the world. And so again, preaching the gospel is impossible for you to fully do without speaking about sin. Why? Because if you don't have a sin problem, you don't need a savior. The one who takes away the sin of the world, the one who deals with the fact that we are all born into sin, the one who deals with the fact that we are all born into sin, we all have a death problem, we all have a judgment issue that we are going to experience. Every one of us is on our way apart from Jesus to spend eternity separated from God in hell. And so what happens? He deals with the sin of the world. He is the sacrificial lamb that is coming to die in our place because God gets no joy. Hear me when I say this. God gets no joy in sending anyone to hell. Are you hearing me? God gets no joy in, in, in sending someone to eternal punishment and eternal damnation. He gets no joy in that. He wants for us to what? To repent of our sin so that way he can deliver us from our death problem. He can deliver us from our, our judgment issue and he can do what? He can make us his children. He can make us his sons. He can make us his daughters. He can give us new life. He can promise us eternal life that we will not suffer for eternity but that we will be saved for eternity. That's what he wants to do. But he doesn't want to just end it there. He wants us to have a new identity. He wants us to know that we are his because of what? His blood. He wants us to know that we, because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he removes the power of sin from the, from the lives of those who do what? Who put their faith in Jesus. I love, I love the text because the text says he deals with the world's sin, not just some people's sins. Are you hearing me? He takes away the sin of the world. He deals with the world. He, it, it's an open invitation to whomever will come is going to do what? Their sin is going to be dealt with. It's not a closed invitation. It's not only some people get an invite. It's everyone. It's not a closed party. Are you here? This is an open invitation to everyone, and we should be out there doing what? Sharing that invitation, saying, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Verse 35, we'll pick it up there again. It says, again, the next day, John stood, day three, John stood with two, with, with two of his disciples. So we see who he's talking to here. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. See the same thing he said over here in the second day? He says the third day. You know what that shows us, church? Is that the witness never changes his testimony. Are you here? You don't need to be slick with some kind of new way to present the gospel. Present it the way that it's supposed to be presented, and it will produce the results it's supposed to produce. Here's the thing. You may lose friends, but Jesus will gain followers. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. You may lose friends, but Jesus will gain followers. Look what it says here. It says, looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So they left John to follow Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so we'll stop here for a moment because the second day he's preaching to two of his disciples and he does what? He communicates the same gospel message, behold the Lamb of God, and he gains followers for Jesus. And that's what his whole thing was about. See, here's the thing, one thing that we see, and I love this when you look at John's response, and we read it earlier. When John responds to the Jews who came to question him about who he was, you know what John says? John doesn't start out saying, I am. He starts off with saying who he was not. 
He starts off pointing out, uh, I'm, not the, I'm, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. As a matter of fact, he reduced himself not even to a person, but only to a voice. Are you hearing me? You want to talk about a humble guy. This guy, he was like, look, it's not about me. It's not about me being seen. It's about me being heard so he can be seen. Are you hearing me? It's, it's, it's about me being a voice. I'm just a voice. It's not about me. See, this is the thing that we have really got to get if we're going to be faithful witnesses for the gospel. It is that it really is not about me. It really is all about Jesus. It really is and must always remain all about Jesus. As witnesses, we must be sure of this, that this is in our hearts, that it's not about our glory, that it's not about people talking good about us, that it's not about us gaining friendship, that it's not about us gaining popularity, that it's not about us earning something. Listen, the reason why we are witnesses is because we have been chosen and we have been changed by the power of the gospel. And the reason why we want to share this is because the same way that God changed my life, he can change their lives. The same way that God delivered me, he can deliver them. The same message that set me free can set them free. And the same reality for all humanity is upon every single person. The ones that don't know Jesus, they're separated from God. But the ones who come to saving faith and saving knowledge of Jesus, guess what? They spend eternity with Jesus. See, as believers, as followers of Jesus and his disciples, we are called to be witnesses on mission with and for Jesus. We must ensure that we don't lose focus of our missional objective. What is our missional objective? It is pointing to Jesus, making much of Jesus, leading as many people as we can to Jesus. Hear me when I say this. It is not about us. And listen. We may never be fully appreciated while we're here on this earth, but all that means is eternity is going to be that much more glorious. See, everybody wants the pat on the back now. If we were to be honest, and don't raise your hand, if we were to be honest, you know, how many like a pat on the back when you do something good? Everybody likes a pat on the back. Everybody likes to be appreciated. Everybody likes to be, nobody, listen, everybody likes, even the people that are like, no, 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 I don't want to be recognized. They enjoy recognition. Hello. They may not enjoy standing in front of people. They may not enjoy all that part of it, but you know what? They enjoy the recognition. They enjoy the fact. You know what? It's, it's, it's just something that's in us. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But here is the thing. For us, we need to be sure that we don't let those things be the motivation. That we don't let those things be what moves us, but that we are moved by one thing, one reality, and that is that we want to make much of Jesus. That it is all about this amazing Savior who called us his sons, who called us his daughters, who called us his witnesses, who chose us to do what? To exemplify what a life changed and transformed by the gospel really is. Amen? Amen. The second thing, ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, witnesses must be secured in their Savior. Look at verse 37 to verse 46. It says here, the two disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and seeing them followed, following said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to translate it when translated, teacher, we, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two heard, who, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And so the first thing that we see here in this portion is that this guy, Andrew, he was what? He was secured. He was secured in who his Savior was. On the third and fourth day, we see the disciples of Jesus begin following him. Notice the immediate response to following Jesus is what? It is witnessing to others and calling them to join you in following him. Are you hearing me? Think about when you first got saved. For those of you that have been saved for a while, when you met Jesus, you couldn't shut up about him. You had to talk to everyone about him. You, you weren't worried about protocol, hello? 
You weren't worried about getting in trouble. You weren't worried about any of that stuff because what? You were so excited because you met Jesus. You were so overwhelmed because you met Jesus, you wanted to tell everyone, especially those who were close to you. Some of y'all lost family members over this. Hello. Some of y'all, people didn't want you around. And, you know, for, for some of us, you know, we go back and we're like, man, I was really zealous and I was foolish and stuff like that. No, you were just passionate. That's what you were. And you may not have known how to communicate it right or, you know, communicate it fully, but at least you were communicating. Hello. Because nowadays we have people that they are so well-versed, but they don't speak. They can tell you how to preach this gospel. They can tell you that you're a sinner born into sin. You're on your way to hell. They can tell you that Jesus died as a substitute for you. They can communicate to you that if you put your faith in Jesus, you repent of your sin, and you will be saved. And then they, they know all of that stuff, but they don't communicate. It's like knowledge has replaced passion. But this guy... This guy, he started following Jesus, and immediately, what did he do? He's like, come on, man, we found him. We found the one. We found the person that, that, that we've been reading about. We found him. Come on, let's, let's go see him. And he goes and gets Peter, and he comes and brings Peter to follow Jesus. See, here's the thing. We must be secured in our, in, in our Savior as God's witnesses, and our security in our Savior will motivate our witness for the Savior. Now, can I tell you how do you develop security in your Savior? The first thing is, and you can write these down, the first way that you develop security in your Savior is by biblical witness to who Jesus is. Biblical witness to who Jesus is. The second thing is other witnesses who faithfully point to Jesus. So listen, you need your Bible for sure. If you are going to be secure in who Jesus is, you need to open up your Bible more than on Sunday. Hello, somebody. If you are going to be secure in Jesus, you need to be well-versed. It doesn't mean you have to have memorized everything. I encourage you to memorize as much scripture as possible. But here's the thing. If you are going to be a faithful witness that is secure in Christ then what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to open this book. You're going to have to learn what the Bible says about Jesus. You're going to have to look at some of the Old Testament. I know the Old Testament is all these big books, and you don't even know how some of it applies, but start looking for Jesus on the pages of the Old Testament. Learn what the Scriptures communicated. When these people are talking about they found somebody, they found somebody who the Old Testament had been pointing to. Hello. The second thing is you need witnesses. You need other people who are going to do what? Who are going to point you to Jesus. Listen, you don't need to be around a bunch of people that are trying to point you to how great you are. You need, to, you need people around you who are pointing to you how great Jesus is. We live in a day that there's all kind of stuff out there that we can get our minds around, our hearts around, and people want you to grasp. But here's the thing. We need people who are pointing us continually to who Jesus is continuously to the greatness of who Jesus is. Why? Because you know what? I'm not always going to be great. Are you hearing me? I'm not all, listen, there's going to be, somebody asked me a question about loving perfectly one time, and I thought it was funny. They asked me, they're like, can you do anything to love your wife and your children more than you already do? And I was like, some days yes, some days no. Are you hearing me? Some days I'm an amazing husband. I get an A++, glory to God. Other days, uh, not so much. I thank God for the pluses, the real, I thank God for the one plus, which is the cross, because that's more than enough. I'm just saying. See, there's some days that I couldn't have done anything to love my wife more that I know of or that she was asking for. But there's other days, yeah, I could. You see, it's the same thing at work. You know, some days, you know, you're an amazing, an, an amazing employee. I mean, you're A++ all day. But then other days, not so much. But you know who's always an A++? Jesus. Jesus. He is always an A++. He is always, there, there's no failure, there's no fluctuation. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't miss it one day. He doesn't, he doesn't fall short. He does not. He is God. And we need people pointing us to Jesus and who he is. So we need the book. Because the book is going to solidify us. But we also need other witnesses. And then the third thing that I think that is so important, and I'm not saying there's any particular order for this, but it is encountering Jesus personally and experiencing Jesus relationally. 
You're going to notice when we look at one of the next guys here, you'll see how he was radically changed, this guy by the name of Nathaniel. But he was another witness here. And so we have John as a witness. We have Andrew as a witness. And obviously we know Peter is going to be a witness. But we have these people that are witnessing and that are communicating about who Jesus is. And we're called to have the same security that they had. But we need to have encounter. We need to encounter Christ. The reason why I'm the person that I am today is not because of some religious institution. It's not because of some great Bible teaching. All of that was part of who I am. But the reason why I am who I am today is because I encountered Christ. Can I tell you something, church? We need to pray that people encounter Jesus. That when we are speaking to them, that they are hearing Christ, not us. That when we are loving them, that they're experiencing Jesus, not just us. Listen, we're part of the equation, but we are not the ultimate sum. Are you hearing me? God is the one who they need to encounter. And it is God alone that can change a person's heart. So we need to pray and we need to ask God to do what? To draw hearts, to draw people unto the Savior. That Jesus would encounter them. But then also that you are experiencing Jesus relationally. See, for some of you, you need an encounter with Jesus. For some of you, you really need to encounter Christ. For others of you, 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 need, you need to experience Christ relationally. See, the reason why some of us have said that we've gained knowledge and lost passion is because we're not walking in intimacy with him. We're not walking in relational intimacy with Jesus And so that passion that was once there has died out. And the only one who can restore that passion is who? Is Jesus himself. See, our security in our Savior is demonstrated most by how we deal with rejection. Hear me when I say this. The doubts and denials of others must never dissuade our faith in our Savior and our commitment to our mission. Keep reading with me here. Verse 43. It says, following the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, this is our third witness here, and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, remember I said you need the book, right? He said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now listen to this. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, I don't know. Philip said to him, well, I'm not sure. Is that what Philip said? Philip said, come and see. Come and see. Philip didn't waver in his faith. Philip was secure even in the face of rejection. When Nathaniel was like, yo, man, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. When Nathaniel, when Nathaniel communicated that, that was a perfect opportunity for what? For Philip's balloon to be deflated. That's what the enemy wants. He wants that balloon in our life to be deflated. He wants us to lose our faith. He wants us to lose our courage. He wants us to lose our conviction. He wants us to lose our compassion. And rejection is the place where you start to see how secure are you in your Savior. Are you going to continue to communicate or are you going to stop communicating? I want to read this to you guys. This is something that we read, or I didn't read this, but Brother Eli read this in our, in our mentoring class on Wednesday. And this is just to kind of give you a picture, just to remind you of what we're, what we're in battle against. So there's two twins in a mother's womb. There were two babies. One asked the other, do you believe in life after delivery? The other replied, why, of course. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There was no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, I don't know, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we will walk with our legs and eat from our mouths. Maybe we will have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, that is absurd. Walking is impossible and eating with our mouths, ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutritional nutrition and everything we need, but the umbilical cord is so short. 
Life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there is something, and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this, this physical cord anymore. The first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? <laughs> delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second. But certainly, we will meet mother, and she will take care of us. The first replied, mother? You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, she's all around us. We are surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. Said the first, well, I don't see her, so it is only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence, and you can hear her, vo- her loving voice calling down from above. Here's the reality, church. The reality is the depiction of that story is the world we live in today. Some people are just blinded to their sin, and they think it's just logical. They think it just makes sense. Ah, I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. I don't need salvation. What is sin? Everybody's this way. The reality is you continue to believe and you continue to preach. Amen? Amen. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, witnesses Witnesses. must be awestruck of their king. Witnesses must be awestruck of their king. Verse 46 to verse 51. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Can we pause for a moment? Because, see, most of us get frustrated with the Nathaniels in our lives. Hello. Most of us, they just irritate us. But you know what? Nathaniel didn't irritate Jesus. Are you hearing me? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus didn't say, man, this prideful jerk. That isn't what he said, did he? Jesus gives this guy a compliment. He tells him that you are a Hebrew, you are a Jew in whom there is no deceit, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Daniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see him being awestruck? He was overwhelmed. He went from, can anything good come out of Nazareth to, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, this is the Jesus that you and I serve. See, here's what we have to realize is that God, he specializes in those difficult, impossible cases. Oh, y'all are not here. He specializes in those cases where it seems like there is no hope for this person. This person will never, ever come to faith in Jesus. You see these guys that are super smart, super intelligent. They have all these degrees and all this stuff, and they reject Jesus, and you think that those guys are impossible. Listen, those are the guys we need to be praying for their salvation because they will go from being the most, the, the, the most pessimistic non-believers to the most hardcore believers. You see, when we look at our Bibles, we find something. God is not intimidated by these difficult cases. And it is easy for us to become cynical, to evangelize in the world that we live in. But we have to realize that God specializes in these difficult places. Remember a guy by the name of Jonah? Jonah was like, you know what, God? I'm not going to preach what you want me to preach. And what did God say? All right, you can get on the ship. You can do whatever you want. Guess what? I'm going to get you where I need you to be. Pretty difficult. I mean, homeboy got on a ship. He's like going in the total opposite direction, went down and took a nap. Hello. People were about to die because of Jonah. And you know what? But not just Jonah. Jonah's not the, Jonah is a big part of the story. But can I tell you what I think to be the highlight of the story? The highlight of the story is that he goes and preaches to Nineveh and the whole nation, the whole place turned from sin. Listen, they had animals fasting. I mean, they were serious. They were like, yo, we need to, that, that was serious. Like, they really recognized God was speaking. And then Jonah gets mad. He's like, see, that's why I didn't want to preach to them in the first place. Why? Because you are all powerful. You are almighty, but you are merciful. 
See, there was another guy in the Bible, and he's in the New Testament, and he's a character that we read about him. We read his words all the time. Some of you have memorized some of, some of his words. I mean, you understand things like, you know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know who wrote those words? It was a guy by the name of Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus, you know, they, and, and so he was in the place where, where, where this guy was trying to go. Jonah was trying to go to Tarsus. Saul was from Tarsus. Are you hearing me? And so Saul, he, he hated Christians. He hated the, the thought of who Jesus was. He was on his way to Damascus to go and incarcerate and, 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 and potentially kill Christians. And you know what God does? God encounters him and turns him what? Turns him into an apostle to the Gentiles and makes him a preacher of this gospel likened to no one that you and I have ever known. That's what God does. He does what we see as impossible. What are we supposed to do, church? We're supposed to be faithful with the preaching of the message. We need to believe that if someone comes and sees that they're going to come and see who? Jesus. Nathaniel, hard, hard heart, hard mind. Nah, man, ain't nothing good coming out of here. He has one encounter with Jesus, and the guy's like bowed down, awestruck, overwhelmed. You're God. And if I'm saying you're God, I'm saying you're my God. I'm bowing to you. I'm surrendering my life to you. And, then for, and, and, and if those three witnesses don't, don't equate as being hardcore cases, man, God saved you. Are you here? Think about how hardcore you were. Some of you are like, I wasn't hardcore. Yeah, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. You were hard in your heart. No one, no one could convince you that you needed Jesus. Hello? No one could get you to want this Jesus, but something happened. And you know what that something was? Jesus encountered you. Listen, God is able to save to the uttermost. We as his witnesses, we just need to be awestruck of the king. We need to be overwhelmed by who the king is so that we can become the witnesses that God has called us to be. And we'll finish reading the scriptures here and then we'll close out. He says in verse 50, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What Jesus points out to him is he says, listen, and because Nathaniel knew the scriptures, he remembered this story way back in the days when Jacob, he was in this wrestling match with God or something like that. And, you know, around that time, and he saw heaven open, right? And he saw this ladder, and he saw angels ascending and descending, angels, you know, going to heaven and earth back and forth. There was this access point to heaven. And what Jesus was saying to him is he's saying, listen, he said, I am that ladder. Are you hearing me? Because notice, he doesn't say you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the ladder. He says you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Because Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the only access point between heaven and earth. He is the only access point. There's a, listen, people want to argue with you and tell you that there's a bunch of ways. There is one way, and that is Jesus and Jesus alone. And so my question for you as I close this message is, how is your witness going? How are you doing as a witness? And three questions I think that you need to ask yourself and we need to ask is, number one, am I actively assured of my mission? Not that you know you should be on mission, not that you know what the mission is, but are you active, active in this mission? Are you part of what God is doing in this earth? Or are you just idly going by? The second thing is, are you secure in your Savior or are you sedentary in your Savior? See, a person who's sedentary is someone who sits down. It seems like security because you're real relaxed. Being secure and being relaxed are two different things. See, because some of us are like, yeah, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I know what Jesus did for me. I have a right relationship with him. But you have no care, no concern for the rest of the world that doesn't. That's not being secure. That's being sedentary. And the last question is, are you awestruck of your king? Can I tell you something? If you don't spend time with him continuously, the all you have for him dwindles. You could have had an amazing encounter with God. And listen, I can talk to you from personal experience because I have no problem sharing, you, sharing with you my heart. But in the times of my life that I slack in my prayer time and my worship time and my devotional time, if I share with you my testimony and the, and the way that God radically saved me, that made me be overwhelmed with who God is. 
But when I don't spend time in the presence of the king consistently, I don't stand in the same awe. I can't just go back and remember that day just and, and just turn something on. Because our sinful hearts find so much else to be overwhelmed with. We become so overwhelmed with the cares of this world. Listen, Jesus made it clear when they were casting out those, the, uh, the seeds were being, were, were being thrown out by the sower, some of them fell, fell among the thorns. That is a real place. Those seeds started to give some life, but what? The cares of this life choked out that what? Choked out the life of that seed. And what happens to us? We become all overwhelmed by other things instead of the Savior. And so today, if you're not secure in your Savior, if you're not awestruck of your King, if you're not actively assured of your mission, God calls you. He calls you to repentance. He calls you to faith. He calls you to trust him. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, today he calls you to turn from your sin, to turn from yourself, to turn from your lifestyle and put your faith and trust in him. Today he calls us to do that. Not tomorrow. The Bible says clearly tomorrow is promised to no one. Today is the day of salvation. That's what it says. And so listen, don't leave this place the same way that you walked in those doors. If you came in here and you weren't assured, you're not on mission with Jesus, repent of that. If you came into this place and you're not secure in who Jesus is, repent of that. Trust in him. And if you came into this place today and you don't know him, today is the day that you can put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Hallelujah. Father, we love you so much, God. Father, I just come to you right now in the great and powerful name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your mercy. And Father, I thank you because you have given us new life. You have given us a life that we could not have afforded ourselves. I have received life because of your love, God. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this place, Lord, that we would be those who are witnesses for you, my God, that we would recognize the importance of being witnesses, that we would recognize the importance of being those who go forward, Lord God, in the power of your spirit, my Lord. I pray for those of us that may be complacent, my God, that may be lacking in passion and zeal to go out and share your truth. God, turn our hearts from whatever need they need to be turned from, that we may surrender to you. You, my God, that we may be passionate about sharing you, God. Father, I pray for those of us in here, Lord God, that are condemned because we don't have passion, because we don't have motivation. God, liberate us from condemnation, Lord God, into the grace of being motivated by the gospel, Lord. Father, I pray for the ones in here that don't know you, Jesus, the ones that came into this place without a relationship with you, for those, Lord God, who know that they are on their way to an eternity separated from you, that if they died today, Lord God, that they would spend eternity in hell. Father, turn their hearts to you today. May they trust you, Lord God. May they put their faith in you, that you died in their place, that you rose from that grave, that you grant them new life if they will put their faith in you, if they will turn from their sin, Lord God. Father, today, Lord Jesus, may you be glorified in us. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' great name, someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.